today a video was put out by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's called Finding Peace During Turbulent Times to Hear Him. And this is our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, who is so beloved, uh, instructing us, giving us hope, and always conveying the instructions from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who sits at the head of his church here on earth. Uh, this is about a couple minutes long, so please listen in and stay with me. It's going to tie into the topic for this week. Life's personal trials stretch far beyond this pandemic. Future trials could result from an accident, a natural disaster, or an unexpected personal heartache. How can we endure such trials? The Lord has told us that if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. Of course, we can store our own reserves of food, water, and savings. But equally crucial is our need to fill our personal spiritual storehouses with faith, truth, and testimony. Our ultimate quest in life is to prepare to meet our Maker. We do this by striving daily to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do that as we repent daily and receive His cleansing, healing, and strengthening power. Then we can feel enduring peace and joy, even during turbulent times. This is exactly why the Lord has implored us to stand in holy places and be not moved. I know that God our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ are mindful of us. We are to seek in every way we can to hear Jesus Christ who speaks to us through the power and ministering of the Holy Ghost. Because when we seek to truly hear His Son, we will be guided to know what to do in any circumstance. Stand in holy places and be not moved. This is Stephanie Colvin and I'm your host coming to you from my little slice of the world here in Southern California. This is LDS Real People Realize podcast and thank you so much for joining me. So just a little update to the bonus content I did last Sunday. Um, you know, I, I like to update you guys because I know I get, you know, you guys have questions. Um, and this kind of ties in with the episode this week, Stand in Holy Places and Be Not Moved. As we cover the Beatitudes, they discuss how when we make sacrifices for the people in our lives, our family and friends, that when we make these sacrifices, only love can dwell there. And that's exactly what has happened with myself and my husband. Heavenly Father has perfectly brought us together in the unity of man and woman in marriage and then sealed in the temple. And we took those covenants. And because of the perfection and bringing us together, my husband and I both know that together we can do and accomplish and overcome and live through anything. But apart, we will struggle greatly and be lucky if we can return and figure this out 
And I am so grateful for the wisdom and the omniscience of a loving Heavenly Father and our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and their hand in our lives. It is the very hard that we go through in our home, the things that we experience, these challenges and trials that just seem to constantly stretch us in ways that I never could even imagine or thought that was, you know, I could never even fathom. Um, But it is those times and those experiences that truly keeps me centered and rooted in the gospel and keeps me on that very straight and narrow path. That path back to the tree of life, holding onto the iron rod, is very, very narrow. And we must have the experiences and the trials placed in our lives to keep us on that narrow path and sometimes even for a course correction. It is through the sorrows and the sufferings that help us remember these eternal blessings and what's truly important. Enduring peace and joy, even during turbulent times. What a promise. Believe. We need to believe and lay hold upon these words. Our beloved prophet of Christ's great church on earth, always encouraging us to hear him, to hear our God and Father in heaven, to hear our Savior, Jesus Christ, through that wonderful servant and member of the Godhead, even the Holy Ghost. I would like to focus for this particular episode on becoming like Christ. I know as we live these days of our lives pursuing righteousness, following Christ and being perfected in him, we will be given the very tools necessary to live with and endure these turbulent times. Our prophet has instructed us to be prepared with food, water, savings, but he has put emphasis on filling our spiritual storehouse with faith, truth, and testimony. And here are a few ways that we can do that. We're going to start off with the Sermon on the Mount, and we will cover the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, is a discourse by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples who are about to be sent forth on earthly missions. The Lord gave the sermon soon after the calling of the Twelve Apostles. The sermon is clarified by the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible and by a similar sermon recorded in 3 Nephi chapters 12 through 14 that show that important parts of the sermon have been lost from the account in Matthew. So I'm going to be using for this episode uh, 3 Nephi chapter 12. Starting off with chapter 12 verse 2, Christ teaches us, Blessed are they who shall believe in your words and come down into the depths of humility and be baptized, for they shall be visited with fire and with the Holy Ghost and shall receive a remission of their sins. These words have power when you lay hold upon them, absorb them, and believe them. In his mortal ministry, Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount to encourage his disciples to strive toward perfection with full purpose of heart. Following his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the Book of Mormon people in the Western Hemisphere and again delivered this same sermon. The gospel standards contained in this sermon have been reaffirmed in our time through modern revelation. President James E. Faust of the First Presidency observed, The Savior's transcendent message in the Sermon on the Mount is of burning bush importance to all of us. But seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God and to establish his righteousness. 
This message needs to penetrate into our hearts and souls. As we accept this message, we are taking our personal stand in this life. Through your study of these sacred principles in the Book of Mormon, you will gain insights that will help you stay faithful and remain on that road to perfection. But please do remember, and I caution you greatly, we cannot obtain perfection in this life. Remember this, whatever we lack, the Savior makes up the difference. The Sermon on the Mount, as contained in both the Bible and the Book of Mormon, is the Lord's blueprint for perfection. And of this sermon, President Harold B. Lee said, quote, Christ came not only into the world to make an atonement for the sins of mankind, but to set an example before the world of the standard of perfection of God's law and of obedience to the Father. In his Sermon on the Mount, the Master has given us somewhat of a revelation of his own character, which was perfect, or what might be said to be an autobiography, every syllable of which we had written down in deeds, and in so doing has given us a blueprint for our own lives. End quote. Again, this is a standard of perfection. I've always said that Christ, when we are lost, we are to look to Jesus Christ and we will find that path once again. He truly is our light and Leahona. We are to give heed to the apostles. These wonderful, wonderful men, apostles and prophets have been called by the Lord. And it's because Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love us so much that they have given us prophet and apostles that can lead and guide us here on earth. The Savior began his sermon to the Nephites by calling attention to the importance of following the 12 Nephite disciples whom he had called and given power and authority to. That is so important. He gave them power and authority, which is the priesthood. Modern revelation has also emphasized the safety and blessings that come by following the Lord's chosen servants. As it says in Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 38, My word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. These are the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to cover. A Beatitude, of course, is a pattern for coming unto Christ to be fortunate, to be happy, to be blessed. I'm also going to be using a talk from a, I believe he's a former member of the Quorum of Seventy, uh, Elder Robert E. Wells, and that talk is titled The Beatitudes, Pattern for Coming Unto Christ. Now, the Bible Dictionary explains that the Beatitudes describe certain elements that go to form the refined and spiritual character and all of which will be present whenever that character exists in its perfection. The Guide to the Scriptures adds, The Beatitudes are arranged in such a way that each statement builds upon the one that precedes it. There's always, always order to the teachings and commandments of God. So in chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. 
This is an established blueprint showing and teaching us how to live in these latter days. And I want to focus on the Beatitudes that are coming from the Sermon on the Mount and also the reminder to stand ye in holy places and be not moved. How important that is. So once again in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this scripture, as taken from the talk by Elder Wells, he states the Savior refers to humility and subjecting oneself to the Lord in all things. As the Savior pointed out to the Nephites, it is the poor in spirit who come unto me, who receive the kingdom of heaven. In Mosiah chapter 3 verse 19 it says, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticing of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. Isn't that a loaded verse? Are we willing to submit to all things that we must endure, the trials and challenges that are set before us to perfect us, to refine us so then we can present ourselves to our Heavenly Father in hopes of being received into the celestial kingdom and our Savior Jesus Christ being our advocate with the Father? What a perfect plan. So a saint is not someone who is perfect or good all the time. That is just not possible. A saint is someone who follows Christ. Perfection is not attainable in this life. Nevertheless, we are to seek perfection, knowing that whatever we lack, the Savior will make up the difference. So I want to share a story. There was a colonel in the Canadian forces during World War I, and his name was Hugh Brown, and he had hoped for an illustrious military career. He worked very hard for it, and the next promotion to general should have been his, but when the vacancy occurred, his superiors told him that they were promoting someone else. He retired to his quarters, of course, crushed with disappointment. However, he exercised his faith, and he knelt in fervent prayer. He asked, Heavenly Father, why couldn't my prayers have been answered? Haven't I lived up to my covenants? Haven't I done everything I was supposed to do? Why? Why? And then he seemed to hear a voice, an echo from the past, saying, I am the gardener here. You were not intended for what you sought to be. Humbled, Hugh Brown then prayed for patience to endure the pruning and to grow as the Lord would have him to grow. A person who is poor in spirit is blessed when he comes unto Christ. How often do we think that we know best for ourselves and have these big plans? I know I'm one of those people. I had big plans. And now here I am, almost 48 years old in October, and pretty much all my plans, nope, didn't happen. Are we willing to submit and give our will and our hearts and desires to God? In verse 4, it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Of all the Beatitudes, this one seems to be the most unusual and contradictory. How can it be a blessing to be in mourning? 
To mourn means to show grief or pain during a loved one's passing. And this intense feeling cannot be hidden from the world or God. It cannot be eased or pacified except with comfort and consolation from God through the Holy Ghost. So why is it a blessing to mourn? Since it is through suffering that we discover what is eternally important. I'm going to say that again because... Sometimes this can be really hard to accept and be okay with. And I, and I think that God understands. It's through suffering that we discover what is eternally important. It may be that pain and suffering at the death of loved ones. It's an essential part of our moral experience that obliges us to face the question of the reality of the spirit world. And also gives us hope for the resurrection. For God's ways are not our ways and we must trust him. Our ways will never be God's ways. When we see the Lord's purposes fulfilled in our sorrowful moments, the Holy Ghost can console us and the atonement and resurrection can become the cornerstones of our faith. So the mourner is truly blessed only if he comes unto Christ. What a wonderful promise. And you will notice, if you haven't already uh, studied out the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, that with every commandment or every request that is given, there is a tremendous reward for those efforts and a tremendous blessing that is given. So moving on to verse 5 of chapter 12 of 3 Nephi, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We don't usually see successful, let's say, CEOs or executives being meek. They usually are described as being maybe sharks in a pond to obtain the wealth and power that they acquire. Um, You can look to a quarterback on an NFL team. Certainly wouldn't be considered meek either as he seeks a glorious win. In the minds of many, meek means being submissive, passive, retiring, and placid. Their mental image of a meek person is that of a compliant doormat who is so timid and unassertive that he accomplishes nothing, that he seeks nothing and contributes nothing to the world in which he lives. Is this really what the Savior had in mind? I don't think so. Blessed are the meek. An example shared is the breaking of horses. That can be, you know, I've seen that done before and it is not a experience that I ever want to repeat again. It was very brutal and cruel and I love animals and but they said that's the way it's been you know done for eons of time. Uh, typically again this is seen to be a very hard and cruel to the horse the way that they break them. So they will do as instructed which robs them of their spirit and their fire and their verve. But in Spain, they love their horses and they work patiently with them until they become meek. Because meek horses are still full of fire and spirit, but they are obedient and well-trained. So, did the Savior really mean for us to become doormats? I believe that he meant for us to be obedient and well-trained and to keep that fire and that spirit and that verve. We can be strong even enthusiastic, talented, spirited, and zealous, and still be meek. I have a wonderful sister in my ward who I've done missionary work with before, and every time I see her or every time I think of you know, 
being meek, she comes to mind every single time. And I love her for her example. Moving on to verse 6. Blessed are they, all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I got to tell you, that's what's happening as I continue to do this podcast. So I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. And I, my sincerest desire is that the Spirit can speak to you, your heart and your will, so that you can do the things you need to do in your life to find the strength and the humility and the meekness and all of the things that our wonderful Savior talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. So again, verse 6, Blessed are they, all they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. And this beatitude ends with the phrase, the Holy Ghost. To hunger and thirst for something involves strife. It involves struggles, work. It involves sacrifice. The early saints are our grand examples of this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Make no mistake, they were tired. They were hungry, thirsty, they were freezing, they were cold, some had, you know, were frostbitten, others were dying, some walking without shoes, others without any coat or anything to keep them warm, some a combination of all of the above. The highest blessings of the gospel aren't for the faint-hearted, the coolly rational, the theoretical philosopher, nor the intellectually curious. Those blessings are for those stout-hearted and souls who hunger and thirst for greater personal righteousness. You don't need to be perfect to strive for this beatitude and blessed for your efforts. You just don't. If we develop a sincere hunger and thirst within ourselves, the door to the higher stairs will be opened and we can climb them. The pathway to perfection is long and narrow, but each step brings rewards and hope of even greater things to come. Remember, line upon line, experience upon experience, precept upon precept, one step at a time. That is always going to be the way that we progress in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In this particular beatitude, the Savior does talk about our showing mercy in order to obtain mercy from God. The principle here is that we will be judged with the same measure that we apply to others. Remember the story of the king who forgave his servant who owed him 10,000 talents. But that same servant wouldn't forgive his fellow servant who only owed him 100 pence. So what is the teaching here? This servant could not give the same mercy that was shown to him, even though he was blessed from that mercy. He absolutely refused to give it to another. The quality of mercy tempers the strict. Severe sentence with compassion and an understanding of extenuating circumstances. The infinite mercy of God cancels any punishment if the person repents, asks for forgiveness, and promises to follow Jesus Christ. Repentance needs to be a way of life. God's mercy comes from his unlimited and unconditional love for us. He loves you unconditionally, and he loves you singularly. 
Likewise, we should show mercy to others because of our unlimited and unconditional love for them. So, the more we sacrifice for others, the more that we love them and forgive them their weaknesses, and the greater our tendency to extend mercy to them. When we don't love our family members or friends, we may think it's because they have not earned our love, but it's, the, it's absolutely the other way around. If we could not love someone as much as we should, it is because we have not yet sacrificed enough for that person. That is why homes blessed with a parent suffering from an incurable disease or with a handicapped child are so full of love. Even our home. Our home is filled with mental illness between, you know, my husband and my son. I'm even dealing with anxiety now. But because of the sacrifices and the support and the love that we give to each other, our home is filled with love. Our home is truly a refuge from the world. Verse 8, blessed are all the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what is meant by pure in heart and by seeing God? What do they mean? Pure in heart in Spanish is translated as clean of heart. And it refers to ceremonial cleanliness, such as the emotions felt after baptism or temple ordinances, uh, other interpretation refers to being clean of guilt, clean of bad habits, and clean of pollution. Um, the English definition of the word pure has a definite moral and spiritual tone that implies integrity, innocence, and righteousness. To be pure person's heart must be sincere and untainted by ulterior motives, conflicts of interest, or spiritually degrading influences. We can all see God. It makes little difference of whether the seeing is physical or spiritual, honestly. The important part is that we commit ourselves to a course of purification that will lead us to God. Remembering always that after we have done all that we can do, Christ is really the one who, through his atoning sacrifice, makes us clean before our Heavenly Father. And remember, he is our advocate with the Father. Perfectly. And then moving on to verse 9. Again, this is 3 Nephi chapter 12, verse 9. Blessed are all the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. <sighs> this one seems to be a very challenging one for me. It's probably one of the hardest ones um, because I am, my nature, you know, when we talk about coming into our mortal bodies uh, and the weaknesses and the challenges and the trials that we have because we're in these bodies, what a piece of truth. I love to engage, especially when it's right versus wrong, good versus evil. Um, we are coming down in these latter days to, uh, you know, right becoming wrong and wrong becoming right. And it just drives me insane. I just, I get so upset and I, I'm tired of it and it's everywhere. It's everywhere you look. And, um, so I am really working on this one in particular. Blessed are all the peacemakers for they shall, they shall be called the children of God. So blessed are those who seek peace. Now, the English translation implies more action in the word. So the person is making peace, let's say in the church or their home, maybe their workplace or a classroom. 
their neighborhood, or even in the government. And this particular beatitude, those who are blessed are those who seek peace and who produce peace. So it insinuates action. The blessed ones are those who are the doers of the word, not just passive listeners. Um, So check this out. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So important. That is a teaching that just pierces my heart. And I want to do this so badly, and I've just got to work on it daily. Uh, The term peace is used almost 100 times in the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? I didn't even realize that. And seems always to be closely identified with Christ as the Prince of Peace. So we know clearly what the scriptures are teaching us. Christ frequently gave them blessings of peace. And we long for peace in our world. That's a given, especially with all that's going on in these latter days. This truly is the interlude before the return of Christ. But the peace taught here is the peace that comes... From a person's heart when he or she lives the commandments. This peace comes unto Christ with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. When we give that broken heart and contrite spirit. Repenting and exercising faith. When we enter into the waters of baptism, this peace comes. And when we receive the peaceful, comforting spirit of the Holy Ghost. Let us all contribute peace in our little slices of the world especially in our homes. Moving on to verse 10. Blessed are all they who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? This just, it happens. And it's going to happen and it's going to continue to happen. Look at what they did to the Savior. Look at what they did to the prophets. This is what we signed up for. And we already know who's going to win between the battle of good and evil. So please do not fear and please do not fret. Bearing testimony has always brought persecution. You know, if you look at Joseph Smith, for example, he was not murdered primarily for political or economic reasons, but rather for bearing testimony that he had seen the Father and the Son. The Savior was not crucified for giving the Sermon on the Mount or for walking on water or even healing the sick. He was condemned to death for testifying that he was the Son of God, the Messiah for whom all Israel had been waiting. He testified of truth and they killed him. We have been told that persecution would come in the latter days to the saints, but we have the assurance that persecution will not destroy the church. The standard of truth has been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, and even armies may assemble. But the truth of God will go forth boldly nobly and independent till it has penetrated every continent visited every clime and swept every country and sounded in every ear till the purposes of god shall be accomplished and the great jehovah shall say the work is done we've got work to do and i wanted to follow up with verse 11 and 12 Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For ye shall have great joy and be exceedingly glad for great shall be your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes give us the formula for coming unto Christ 
and we can use them as a foundation as we seek for a Christ-centered life. And I wanted to end with a few other verses that I would like to share. And behold, I have given you the law and the commandments of my Father that ye shall believe in me and that ye shall repent of your sins and come unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Behold, ye have the commandments before you and the law is fulfilled. Therefore come unto me and be ye saved. For verily I say unto you that except ye shall keep my commandments which I have commanded you at this time, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore I would that ye should be perfect, even as I, or your Father who is in heaven, is perfect. This is our goal. We set the bar high. We do the best we can. We repent, and we follow the Beatitudes, and we be the Beatitudes. We look to the Savior, and we just do the best that we can, remembering that Christ will make up the difference. He is our advocate with the Father, but we can be His hands here on earth. Christ works through the children of God to bless the children of God. Let us have a willing heart and a desire to go forth and to do and to be those workers This is the gathering after all. We were reserved for this time and dispensation to help our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, gather His children, for we have become His through the atonement and the sacrifice that He has given to us. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I just am so grateful to be able to utilize this technology to do as we've been asked to do, and that is to reach out beyond ourselves and to be member missionaries, to look to those who need to be comforted, who need love, who need understanding, who need support, who need others to help energize and fill their spiritual batteries and their faith. And I hope that you were able to find what you needed to hear as you were listening to this episode this day. And remember to stand in holy places and be not moved. Thank you so much for listening and joining me. Thank you so much for just your faith and your testimonies and your spirit. Please be safe. Watch over your family. And always be faithful. Stand in holy places and be not moved. Keep the faith. And remember to be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. God bless, and just please know how much that you are truly, uniquely, and individually loved by your Savior, Jesus Christ, and Heavenly Father.